Welcome to Small Time. I'm Hayden Joyner. You may have heard of them. This small town in South Carolina, about 30 miles south of Charlotte, it's made the news plenty of times in the last decade. Three high schools are scattered across the city's 43 square miles of space, all of which have produced NFL-caliber talent and plenty of college football stars, most notably of which include star tight end Benjamin Watson, all-pro cornerback Stephon Gilmore, and 2013 first overall pick, Jadavion Clowney. It's odd. You'd expect this level of consistent talent to come out of California, maybe one of the massive football towns in Texas or Arkansas. No, this was a relatively small town in the suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina, that's produced an incredible amount of state champions, college stars, and NFL talents. That town is Rock Hill, South Carolina. Football City, USA. It's a town born out of the railway boom that happened in America's past, setting up shop just south of the state line in the shadows of the Queen City. For much of its history, the quiet town became nothing more than a suburb of the larger North Carolina metropolitan. While stores and neighborhoods began popping up, the town still looked for identity, something to set itself apart and to attract new citizens. Football, of all things, would soon take over. Children around the city, who had been playing football in overgrown fields and parking lots, always had the dreams of performing at the highest level. What kid growing up with sports didn't? Those visions, however, had always seemed unattainable, especially in a town with little football success prior and not many to look up to. But that soon all changed. First came Robert Massey, then Gerald Dixon and Jeff Burgess. Then Chris Hope became a Super Bowl champion. The Dallas Cowboys selected Derek Ross, and the Patriots drafted Benjamin Watson. Now, no longer were the dreams of the NFL as far away for these kids playing in fields and cemeteries. They can almost touch it now, and Rock Hill was just getting its hands dirty. Soon after, more and more players started pouring out of the city. Jonathan Joseph became a first-round pick when the Bengals drafted him in 2006. Spencer Lanning, Cordero Patterson, Jonathan Meeks, Stephon Gilmore, Philip Adams, and Jadavion Clowney followed suit. They've created a mecca for football talent in the state, one where players growing up within the city limits have idols to look up to now, idols that walk the very halls they are in now, took on the pressure that high school football brought, and succeeded. In Rock Hill, going to college or the NFL to play football wasn't just some faraway dream anymore. It was a goal, and a somewhat obtainable one at that. Every Friday night, during the cool, windy evenings of the South Carolina autumn, District 3 Stadium would be packed shoulder to shoulder. Cars would flood into the gravel lots behind the stands, parking as close as possible to each other to maximize attendance, some even resorting to the driveways and yards of neighboring homes just to get within walking distance. The ticket gates were constantly moving, a $9 fee being the only thing standing between eager fans and a seat at Football City USA's stomping grounds. Students occupied the edge sections, all dressed in their pre-decided themes for the game, doing all they can to hype up their teams and the crowds. As fans settled into place, popcorn, candy, and drinks at the ready, as the players exited the field following pregame warm-ups, with the background hype music fading to a stop, 
The field and crowd at District 3 Stadium would fall silent, but only for a second. A second where the wind that was so well described the Rock Hill Autumn became present again, and the anticipation for the game seemed to fill the air surrounding the field. For that second of silence, this home for football could take in one last breath before the players entered and the fans cheered, marking the beginning of yet another Friday Night Lights. Two of the city's three high schools called this place home, Rock Hill High and Northwestern, while the third school, relatively new South Point High School, had their own on-campus stadium. But District 3 Stadium, a staple in the city's landscape, is the real focal point of Rock Hill football. A stadium where all of Rock Hill's greatest had set foot in, proving that they belonged in a world of football, making names for themselves, and creating their own legacies. All of it was here, at this very stadium. A stadium where they were the first noticed by recruits, giving commitments to college, and where they reminisce of looking back to their high school days, now all players in the National Football League. It's a place every player and fan in Rock Hill knows well, even Philip Adams. Like most of his peers, Philip Adams grew up in the shadows of Rock Hill's success stories. A kid eager to play football, to win, starting as little as seven years old. He'd eventually grow up, landing at Rock Hill High School with the same goals and ambitions that so many had had before him. Rock Hill's greats played there. The halls of the schools lined with photos from its recent football past, reminding Adams what could be possible. And it was Adams that would lead the Bearcats to two state championships in three years, even having the game-sealing interception against Stratford High in the 2004 championship game. After which, he moved on to South Carolina State to play in college. A historic black university situated about an hour and a half south of Rock Hill, where Adams continued to excel. Then came 2009, and his mother, a beloved school teacher in the city, fell victim to a car accident, paralyzing her. As Adams' success had increased at the football level, the city of Rock Hill worked hard to help support her and him. Chris Hope, one of Rock Hill's first major success stories, even helped to start a charity basketball game to raise money for medical bills, and Adams vowed to reach his football goals in support of his mother. The work paid off, and soon enough, the San Francisco 49ers took Adams in the draft, making him the first South Carolina State football player to make the NFL in nine years, and the 11th player from Rock Hill. Things were going smoothly, and Adams seemed to be following in the footsteps of other Rock Hill greats, eager to get to work and make himself belong. Adams' NFL career materialized into one similar for a lot of players. After being drafted by San Francisco in the seventh round of the 2010 draft, Adams struggled to find his footing in a league of constant rotation. A severe ankle injury his rookie season saw his playing time cut short, and despite starting 15 games, the 49ers cut him, Adams still visibly dealing with ankle injuries even after they had healed. The Seahawks, Raiders, Patriots, Jets, and Falcons all took shots at him, but it simply wasn't meant to be. A journeyman, a term all too common in the NFL, had become the career of Philip Adams. Multiple injuries throughout his six-year career, including two concussions with the Oakland Raiders, marked the turning point in his football journey. After a year in Atlanta, 
where Adams caught one interception and started three games, he was let go by a front office for the last time. His career was over. It wasn't spectacular. Adams hadn't become a first overall pick, not even a first round pick. He never made a Pro Bowl, an all-pro roster, or even was a primary starter on any team. It was a career largely anonymous in the grand scheme of the NFL. But what arguably hurt the worst for Adams was that return trip home. A return trip to Football City, USA, where everywhere he went, he was reminded of this career, this life that he wasn't allowed in anymore. Constant reminders of the past heroes of the city and how his chance to make those lists had now faded away, likely never to come again. He tried his best to cope with the situation. Adams had plans to open a smoothie shop in town, marketed by his fame of being an NFL player alone. He picked up farming, helped care for his mother, still struggling after the car accident that had left her paralyzed. Adams simply tried looking for things past football, but it was all he had known. He only knew how to be a football player. From the moments on the youth fields, to under the lights of District 3, to playing in football and in the National Football League. He had a life story written in a locker room. How could he know any different? But slowly but surely, the issue began to take over. Adam's smoothie shop failed just after one year. He stopped showing up to youth football camps put on by the city's alumni. No more charity basketball games, speaking appearances, or public outings. The mental health side of life in football had begun to take over. In the years following his career, Adams never left Rock Hill. He tried to make a life after football, but football and his failures never seemed to leave him. They haunted him. His mental health became worse and worse. He began having issues sleeping. Remembering things had become even more difficult as well, all with pain swelling in his body, still emanating from the injuries sustained during his playing career. His friends and peers had gone their separate ways as well, finding lives after football that Adams just couldn't grasp onto. He moved back in with his parents, their house located on the south side of the city. He continued to care for his mom and took up four-wheeling at night. But he also began buying guns and writing cryptic messages and notebooks scattered around his room. With the family growing more and more concerned for Adam's well-being, he didn't seem to look for any help. Then came April 7th. Early that afternoon, Adam slid on a forest green outfit consisting of a green hoodie and camo pants and ventured out of his family home, locating the four-wheeler that he'd become accustomed to riding around at night. From there, he threw on a black helmet, loaded up two guns, and punched the throttle, setting off on an evening that would haunt the city of 75,000 and send shockwaves through the NFL community. We still don't know why he set off, whether those cryptic messages had any meanings or plans, whether he had an anger built up from an NFL career cut short, or just didn't know what to do with himself anymore. But the details that we do know are that Philip Adams drove that four-wheeler through the woods that evening, heading west with seemingly no thought-out path, but with a definite thought-out destination. His mind blurred by the past traumas of life in the NFL, burdened with the gnawing facts of failure in the eyes of himself, led him towards the home of a beloved doctor and his family. There, 
he stepped away from his vehicle, guns drawn, and entered the home, shooting and killing the doctor and his wife, their two grandchildren, and two HVAC workers outside the home, all before turning the gun on himself, and in an instant, making the legacy of Football City USA that much more darker, and throwing Rock Hill into the national spotlight. If you drove from Adams' home in Rock Hill towards District 3 Stadium, then you're likely to see a car wash known throughout the town. It's located right outside the downtown area, erected on top of a hill near a water tower and cemetery. To a passerby, it's just another car wash. But to Rock Hill residents, Adams, and every other child in this city with a dream of football, they'll notice. It's been seen by every fan venturing to the city's center for football, by every recruiter looking to find the next Stefan Gilmore, and by every player looking to achieve the heights of the sport that so many from this small town had done before. As written on top of the front facade, in large, bold letters, reads Football City, USA. But for once, it wasn't about football, at least not in the positive ways. News outlets filled District 3 Stadium, it was overrun by cameras, and the city tried their best to cope with what had happened. It's been an ever-growing issue in recent times. CTE and the post-career traumas that football players are beginning to endure. For a lot of the country, youth football has been the main target, looking to either limit or stop kids from playing young in an effort to combat this epidemic. Flag football or other alternative sports have been the main path parents have sent their kids on to avoid an outcome similar to so many suffering NFL veterans. And now, the city of Rock Hill had a direct source of the sport's dark side. A dark side that influenced a once hopeful kid with dreams similar to other Rock Hill greats into doing the unthinkable. A side which devastated a community so in tune with football that it had even named itself after the sport. And now, amidst one of their own killing six people along with himself, sat a city looking for answers. When the news vans and TV cameras finally settled away, off to find the next story while waiting for updates on the investigation, District 3 Stadium laid in silence. It was April after all. The field wasn't used anymore for football. Rather, soccer season was just wrapping up, and behind that, graduations were set to be held on the stadium's field. It'd be months before the stands were packed again with the same attendance typical of a Friday night football game. And when those football games returned, Rock Hill hoped that their lives would return to normal as well. A normal where a trip to District 3 Stadium was filled with excitement and fun, hoping to catch a glimpse of a potential young star. But they could get their snacks, their drinks, and look to enjoy a game like they always had. Cheering hard for their respective teams, getting ready for kickoff, and enjoying that ever-present second of calmness. A second to take it all in, before Football City USA roared back to life. But that second now marks a reminder to the community a reminder that lives were recently lost in a tragic murder, a reminder that there's a life after football that must be looked after, a second life that matters just as much as the one full of football, and that in a matter of seconds that life can change, no matter your past. For Philip Adams, it took a lot of seconds to change, but it only took one decision to shock the country. And now Rock Hill leans into that second, a second for everyone to breathe, where the winds of yet another autumn evening in South Carolina could be heard sweeping through the stands of District 3 Stadium. And for a second, it seems like things are normal, but they can't be anymore. 
but as the ball is kicked off to mark yet another season, the fans ease back into normalcy. A community in recovery, turning to their one true identity that had brought so much joy and recent pain into their lives. But it's what they know. It's who they are. It's Football City, USA. If this story had been about any other city, then I probably would have never considered it for this podcast. It's a story so tragic and unfortunate. It's not one that I typically produce, but this one felt like it needed to be told. For those unaware, Rock Hill, South Carolina is my home. It's where I spent virtually all my childhood and teen years. It's where I grew up. I went to high school there, attended football games, lived in the same neighborhoods as some of the players mentioned in this episode. Everything told in this episode, I experienced. And that's why this story felt like it needed to be told. It struck me, obviously. I was away at college when the news of Philip Adams broke. For the first time in my life, I saw my city trending on Twitter, circulating through the national spotlight, but it wasn't for the reasons you'd hope for. The national tragedy train that seemed to steamroll through the country in recent years had made a stop in Rock Hill. Even worse, it brought with it the baggage of the city's identity, putting a dark cloud over a sport beloved by the town. It's the dark side of football, a side often unseen to the public, except in tragic cases like Aaron Hernandez or Philip Adams. And sadly, it's becoming more and more of an issue. I hate that I had to tell the story, that the rich football culture of Rock Hill now has to share the limelight with such an awful string of events. But we get up, we move on, take each day in, one second at a time. Thank you.